Merry Christmas. That seems like such a simple phrase, doesn't it? But for years, we've kind of been inundated with this whole happy holidays thing. And it is so good to be with a group of people who understand and appreciate Merry Christmas. So Merry Christmas, folks. Thank you. Simple words, but you know, they are a welcome bit of normal, and it really is nice to be able to share that greeting with each other. So much of this year, our traditions have gotten changed, and the things that we usually do, the places we usually go, the life we usually live in a lot of ways has been disrupted. But one of the best parts of the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that Jesus never changes. Same yesterday, day, and forever. The truth of Jesus does not change. And we're here to celebrate Jesus, God's only Son. We're here to celebrate His birthday. Jesus, our Savior. And what's so wonderful in, in, in this time that we've been living through, nine long months of cultural and, and, and political and personal chaos and disruption, where we're not really sure what to believe or, or what to think all the time, that we're not just observing a holiday because it comes along on the calendar and it says it's time to do that. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here to proclaim a truth and a fact to the world. That Jesus is real and he was really born and that one day God came to earth and took human form. And that's the birthday that we celebrate today. The birthday of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And this year, we probably more than any other year, are that weary group of people that that song is talking about. We are the weary world. And yet isn't it great to know that God still gives us a reason to rejoice in all of that? And so we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So this child that we're, uh, we're celebrating today, the baby Jesus, was born 2,000 years ago. But the world that he was born into, in a lot of ways, is very similar to our country today. The people of Israel were looking for hope. They were looking for any reason to have hope. They, they were looking for any sign or, or, or any idea that, that might give them hope that tomorrow or the next week or the next year could possibly be better. And, and we're all wondering if there's any real hope out there as well. We're all wondering if there's ever going to be peace again. And they were wondering about peace back in their day. We're wondering if we're going to see peace on the streets of our country the way that we have in the not-so-recent past. The idea of peace is something we took so for granted and suddenly we don't anymore. And 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people were looking for a reason to have joy. Real joy, not pretend joy or momentary joy, but real joy. Just like people today are looking for a reason to have joy, to believe in something that's real. To believe in something that's trustworthy and true. And so what does God do? God sends Jesus. God's gift to you. God's gift to me, and that is what we celebrate tonight. God created us to have faith in him, to believe that this, this story about Jesus isn't just a story, but that it's history. And so we celebrate today the birth of the baby Jesus, God's only son, the Savior of the world, the treasure of heaven come to earth. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? What in the last nine months of everything being upended and different, what have you found is really valuable to you? 
What is most important or maybe who is most important? Because what you treasure, that's what you believe in. And what you believe in is where you settle your faith on. So what do you have faith in? Who do you have faith in? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is believing in what is that we maybe can't look at and see for ourselves to prove. That's the very nature of faith. In, in Matthew 17.20, Jesus talks about faith and he said, If only you had faith as much as a grain of mustard seed. And if you've ever seen a, a mustard seed, it grows into a huge plant, but the, the grain of a mustard seed itself is almost invisible. It's tiny. We're used to mustard that comes in yellow, yellow jars. But the seed itself is a tiny, almost invisible thing, and it's kind of an obscure thing for us to try to relate to. So maybe we talk about something we can all understand a little bit better. Why don't we talk about an acorn? And Jesus didn't say this, but... What he was getting across was the idea that if you only had faith as much as an acorn. Think about that. If you only had faith of, of an acorn, we get so bundled up looking for hope and joy and love and peace and something to believe in and something to trust and something that we think we can find that's trustworthy. When God has already given us all of those things in the person of Jesus, we already have them. What if we really counted Jesus as our treasure? What if we really believed and had faith in Him? What if we really believed in what God has already given us, what we already have, and that's Jesus whose birth we celebrate? So it occurred to me this week, maybe what we need to do, since everything else is going upside down, maybe we just need to go back to where it all began and, and go back 2,000 years ago and revisit some of the passages that both were prophecies talking about the birth of the Messiah, but also the passage, and we're going to look at Luke, talking about how it is that the birth of Jesus came to be. And so what I want to do is, is give you an opportunity to do something that has also been upended and disrupted in the year that we've had. Christmas used to be the time that a lot of Hollywood movies came out. It was a big moneymaker. Now there's a huge Hollywood studio that's for sale, and the Internet is having movies that come out on it rather than going to theaters. And so I'm going to invite you to play a movie in your mind. God wrote the script. It's recorded for us in the Bible, but you get to be the director. You get to assign faces and voices to the characters. And, of course, the main character is the baby Jesus, whose birth we're here to celebrate. So starting in Luke, the second chapter, let's see what happened 2,000 years ago. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child." So the registration is really a census, and the purpose of the census was for taxation. They wanted to know how many people were in the land, so they knew how much money they could raise. And so David and Mary, both of the line of, of King David, and that goes back to the city, which is actually a village of Bethlehem, which, as the crow flies, was about 70 miles from where they lived north of there in Israel. And the only way they had to get there was to walk. There was no Uber, there was no bus, there was no train. So Mary 
who was already well along in her pregnancy, and Joseph, whom she was not married to, took off on foot to make the 70-mile journey to the village of Bethlehem, a town that in that day wasn't much bigger than the Hawak that we all know. It was a small community. It was a long walk. And by the time they got there and they'd wove their way through the Judean desert, they had to walk about 100 miles. When it says that they went up to Jerusalem, it means that the elevation climbs dramatically in the last part of the trip and they end up climbing more than a half a mile of elevation. All the while, Mary, who is still a virgin, who is not yet married to Joseph, is very close to giving birth to her firstborn, a son. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Imagine if the government was going to do a census, and everyone who was from this area had to go to Howick in order to register. There would very quickly be nowhere to stay, and so what would we do? Well, we'd bring tents and you'd ask the people who you knew and you'd hope for the best you could and more likely you'd end up sleeping under a tree or in a tent in a field. That's what Mary and Joseph ran into. And it didn't help that as they walked into town, what they brought with them was scandal because a young woman of Mary's age who was pregnant with a man that she was engaged to but was not married to wasn't welcome anywhere. And the only thing that they could find was a cave on the outside of town, a place where the shepherds would bring sheep when it was the lambing season. And it says that she gave, uh, she wrapped her child in swaddling claws, and that, that doesn't seem to make much sense to us. But when you look at the history and you understand what they really were, those swaddling claws were what the shepherds had cut and set aside and left in that cave for the lambs who would be born, who they deemed to be perfect without flaw or blemish. Those lambs that would then be brought to the temple and be sold to be slaughtered. For a sacrifice. She wrapped her newborn baby boy in those cloths. Those lambs who would be wrapped to keep them clean and safe for another day where they could be sacrificed is what this young mother wrapped her son in. And she understood the message. She named her baby boy Jesus because that was what she had been told to name by the angel Gabriel that came to her and told her that even though she had not been with a man, she was going to give birth to a son and that God was going to be the one who would be his father. It was going to be God's son. And she laid her baby in the manger. And the manger is nothing more than a cut-out area in the wall of the cave that they laid the hay that the sheep would be able to eat from. Uh, the manger that we have, the wooden troughs, those, those don't exist in the Middle East because there's no trees to make them from, or very few. So they carved out of the rock, and she laid her baby wrapped in the swaddling cloths of the perfect lambs that were headed for sacrifice at the temple on the shelf in the cave where the sheep ate from. In verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord showed around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So now these shepherds were an unusual bunch of 
people for the angels to make this heavenly announcement to. It didn't make any sense at all because shepherds were cut off from the rest of the world. Their job was dirty and they didn't smell very well because they spent their whole lives in the field with these animals. They understood the care and and, and well-being of animals more than they understood the interaction with other people. But the angels came and made this announcement to them. And in their announcement, it told the shepherds everything that they needed to know about this child. Things that we miss if we don't look carefully at it. Things that we don't even understand. See, these shepherds were the perfect ones to make this announcement to because they saw the significance in every word that those angels spoke. They understood the significance of a Savior. They knew that Israel was waiting for a Savior. But the idea that the Savior would be born and laid in a manger wrapped in the claws that they had prepared and left behind for the sacrificial lambs was not lost on them. It didn't take them long to start putting those pieces together. Of all the people in the world that the angels could have spoken to, they chose to go, God sent them to the shepherds, the ones that no one else would ever even want to listen to. These simple shepherds fully grasped the significance of even the smallest of details in the angel's announcement. These shepherds that more than anybody else on earth knew how to hold baby lambs, especially perfect ones. These shepherds who understood when the angel said that this baby would be wrapped in swaddling claws, they knew there was one purpose and one purpose only for those. They knew that this child had been born to die as a sacrifice. And what we know is that sacrifice is for the sins of you and I. Now the question is, do we put our faith in Him? Do we believe and do we trust in Him as our Savior? Verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. The angels of heaven broke into song. I can't imagine what that would have sounded like. But this event was so incredible that that was the response of heaven. Do you hear that? Their message is peace on earth. Peace on earth. Jesus came that our troubled souls, our busy minds, our overstressed lives might know peace. This baby, wrapped in swaddling claws and laid in a manger, brings peace. True, lasting, trustworthy peace. And along with it, the joy that comes from knowing that everything that happens is in God's hands. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. This wasn't anything to wait for. Their sheep would be okay. They needed to go to Bethlehem immediately and find this child. And when they got there, the Bible says everything was just as they had been told. Why? Because God is a promise keeper. The Bible is full of God's promises to you, and God keeps every single one of them. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The people didn't know whether to believe the shepherds or not, and they didn't understand the significance of the details that the shepherds did that you now know. The people that heard it from the shepherds, they had probably never actually spoken to a shepherd before. And these shepherds are saying, this is what we saw. This is who he is. And Mary, she's got a different response. Mary ponders these things in her heart. And I, I've always wondered what exactly that means. And the only thing I can come up with is, 
I think the feelings and the thoughts and the reality was so deep that this young first-time mother had no words to express. And she simply pondered those things in her heart. Her precious newborn son, God's only son, had been born in Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling cloths and now rested in a manger. And she knew, because the angel had announcement that he'd be the savior of the world, she knew it all happened under the shadow of a cross. The cross that Jesus, when he grew to be a man, would willingly walk to because he loved you and I, because he was obedient to his father. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It was exactly what the angels said. God had kept his promise. And the only thing they know how to do is to go tell the world, rejoicing, glorifying, praising God. That is exactly where we enter the story. We get to do the same thing. If Jesus is real to you, if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, if you have accepted his free gift of the forgiveness of your sins and salvation, the only response that we should have is to praise God and glorify him and go tell everybody who will listen. That's where we enter the story. This child, Jesus, the son of God was born to save the people of the world from their sins, to offer himself as God's perfect sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God for your sins and for mine. If only we'll believe. The perfect Lamb of God, born in a sheepfold, wrapped in the claws that were set aside and prepared for the perfect sacrificial lambs and then laid in a feeding trough for a crib. Hundreds of years before this, the prophet Micah talked a little bit about it. He, he prophesied where it is that the Savior would be born. He said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Jesus is from ancient of days, all right. It's the best way Micah could explain it. John, in his gospel later on, said that in the beginning was the word. At the very beginning of all creation, Jesus was there with God. In fact, how did God speak everything into existence? With words. Jesus is ancient, all right. But now he's made his appearance on earth in Bethlehem. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. You want peace? There it is. Knowing these things are on the shoulders of Jesus, that government and peace are on his shoulders, and of the increase there will be no end, which means that the peace and Jesus' rule just continue to get greater and greater and greater. Jesus, that little child, born in a cave outside the village of Bethlehem, to an unwed mother who grew to be a homeless man who poured his life out to others and who gave his life for your salvation as the Savior of anyone who will simply believe in him, even if your faith is as small as an acorn. That's what we celebrate tonight. We have different ideas of what to do with that. Some people take the, the peace and the joy of Christmas only to see themselves and make it about themselves as being the beaten down and the battle-weary victims of a world that has turned against them. And they can't find anything to celebrate in Christmas at all, not even the birth of their Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And then other people, they embrace Christmas. They, they see the gift that God sent in the person of the baby Jesus as the treasure of heaven, and they see themselves as the recipients of the greatest gift that God has ever given the world that anyone has ever known. And so which one of those are you? How do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as the beat-down, battle-weary enemy of the world? Or do you see yourself as a recipient of the greatest gift that God has ever given, the treasure of heaven, Jesus, God's only Son? It's all about perspective. We all have different perspectives. We had a great uh, chance to get a perspective on Monday. The shortest day of the year, the, the, the darkest day, because it's the longest night, is December 21st. And all the way back in the beginning, before there was time when God created everything, he put the stars and the planets into motion, and, and he put two of them in motion that on that night we would see them on December 21st of 2020. We would see them in the sky, and they would look like this. This is a picture of it. Maybe some of you saw it. Maybe some of you were where it was too cloudy that you couldn't. But here's the thing. People called it the Bethlehem Star because we're in a world that's looking for hope. But you know what? That isn't the star at all. It's two planets. It's the planet Jupiter and Saturn. It's two planets that, that happened to align, that God spun into motion so long ago, and they happened to align on this night in this area where we get to see them ourselves, and they appear to be the brightest star in the sky. But they, here's the thing. They're two planets. Planets are dark. They don't generate light. They're cold. Those two planets come together and they create that incredible light. And really all that they're doing is being a reflection of the sun. And the two of them come together and they're that much brighter. But they're not producing or creating that light on their own. They're reflecting the light of the sun. And that's exactly what happens to a man or a woman or a child who puts their faith in Jesus and believes in him. We go out into the world and we do the same thing. We reflect the light of the sun, the son of God. We're not the light, but the light is in us and the light reflects from us. We're, we're given life. We're given life in Jesus who was given new life. That's why he died, that we might have new life. That's what our salvation is all about, that we might reflect the light and the life of the son of God in us. Just like two seemingly insignificant planets that any other night of the year you wouldn't have even noticed. They would have been little lights in the sky and you wouldn't have given them a second thought. But this brilliant light on the darkest night of the year and we're reminded of hope. And you read about it all over the place. That's what people were talking about. The Bethlehem star. Suddenly there's hope. And you think about that, that single acorn, that one little acorn that the squirrels or the deer don't get. It's a small thing, but when it's allowed to do what it is created to do, it becomes a mighty oak tree. And a single acorn multiplies itself thousands and thousands and thousands of times over the course of its life, producing even more acorns. And that's what happens when a Christian reflects the light and the life and the love of Jesus to the world around us. When we put our faith in Jesus when we allow our faith to grow, even if it's as small as an acorn, we start reflecting that out into the world, and the world, one person at a time, begins to be changed by him. So with that acorn of hope, because you believe in Jesus, you can have hope. You can have joy. You can have peace. And you can reflect to the world out there that is dying in darkness, literally dying in darkness, 
You can reflect the love of the one who was born for you, who lived for you, and who willingly chose to die so that your sins might be forgiven, and you could spend an eternity in heaven with him. So why are we here? We're here to say Merry Christmas. We're here to celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. We're here to say happy birthday to the Prince of Peace, everlasting peace, peace that passes all understanding. So may the peace that he brings be the peace that rests in your heart and in your soul and in your tired mind in the days ahead. May the light that he brings be the light that is in you, that you reflect to the world that is in desperate need of hope. And may his life be the life in you that you share in the good news of Jesus to people who are dying without him. Merry Christmas. Happy birthday. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for these passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that help us to understand what you have been doing. Thank thank you for your son, Jesus, who came to earth to live as as one of us. He left his home in heaven to come and to live in this mess that we've created on earth. And he created, it, he created a, an answer to that mess. In his death and in his resurrection, God, you have defeated the power of death and you have defeated sin. And anyone who believes in him is given the gift of new life. He's given the gift of hope and salvation and the eternity with you. And all that we have to do is believe. All that we have to do is trust. All that we have to do is put our faith, even if it's just faith the size of an acorn, in Jesus, who did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so on this day, when we celebrate his birth, we also say thank you with hearts of gratitude to Jesus, our Savior, your only Son, the Prince of Peace. Amen.